The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. But always remember, it's a big podcast, and whatever happens, you will not be missed. And tonight, on that cheery note, we are going to be talking about the legend of tabletop gaming that is Warhammer. And to join us on this epic journey through history and time and space, we have brought back the master of time and space himself, Professor Otaku. I'm loading up my Mark II call pattern bolt rifle and I'm ready for war. <laughs> awesome, because we're going some dark places and chaos reigns. No, it doesn't. <laughs> on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking like true imperial scum. <laughs> yes. Um, remember, the Inquisition is always listening. And to any Inquisitors listening out there, we are loyal imperial citizens and we are in no way encouraging chaos. I sure as hell aren't. <laughs> Little Xenos here and there, maybe that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and that sa- the sound of a Laz round going through my head and out the other side is uh, <laughs> completely coincidental for that statement. <laughs> All right, before we get too in the weeds, we better describe what Warhammer is. So, Don, tell us, what is Warhammer? Okay, this is going to take a little tiny bit of explanation, but I can give everybody out there a pretty good background. Mm-hmm. It starts in 1974 with the Dungeons & Dragons game. Mm-hmm. That's your first uh, tabletop role-playing game. D&D comes out of the uh, historical wargaming um, tradition. Wargaming being where the participants are competing. You build up an army. Uh, D&D came out of um, Chainmail, which was mm-hmm. a realistic simulation of medieval warfare but had a uh, fantasy supplement, which let you add dragons and knights and and heroes and goblins to it. D- it that becomes D&D. D&D gets crazy popular. A company comes out in Britain called Games Workshop. They started up in 75, and they kind of produced their own games. Mostly they sold um, American games in Britain. They were a British company. Mm-hmm. In 78, they provided as i understand it they provided capital for a company called citadel which made gaming miniatures uh this um, can keep yep <laughs> sorry i'm yep. just checking your work as you go <laughs> okay the the two companies did um they they didn't really do too much of their own stuff um there was a game called reaper that games workshop put out in 78 that was a tabletop skirmish game the the difference being typically war games you would have huge like armies with hundreds of troops. Uh, fun fact: if you see any of the original kind of tabletop games from the seventies, when they talk about game scale, because you'll see a game scale of one to twenty or one to one, they're not talking the size of the miniatures. They're talking Thank about God. <laughs> yeah, it's it's how many troops each miniature represents. 
that seems a little 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 odd if if you're coming from the uh, the modern sense. But anyway, what happens in in uh, eighty three? Games Workshop produces the first edition of Warhammer, which is a tabletop war game. It's a fairly generic fantasy game. They don't have too much by way of setting, but it's their house rules. Over the years, they kind of develop it. They keep coming back to it. They they had um like a ma- uh, magazine pamphlet kind of thing that would come out through their stores that would detail stuff. They started building a mythos. It really around... 86, they do a role-playing game based on it. And that's kind of when they solidified their mythos. What the point of Warhammer is, is it's a picture of a typical sword and sorcery setting. But they tie it together with the concept of chaos. Uh, chaos is unbridled, like, mystic energy that changes and warps stuff. It it, it happens because uh, there was... That this is where it's going to get a little, a little, a little odd. Rob might want to reel this in a little sometimes. The premise is that in ancient times there was uh, the race called the Slon, and the Slon are frog guys, and they were super intelligent, traveled space and time using what they called warp gates, which were portals through another dimension that would let them travel instantaneous in our universe. This has generally been regarded as a bad idea. Yes, it is because what nobody what nobody knew was this this universe they traveled through was psychoreactive, that it absorbed the thoughts and emotions of sentient beings, and those thoughts and emotions would start to coalesce into into entities of their own. Uh-huh. Once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, and the Slon Empire collapses. In the Warhammer world, there are two gates: one at the the North Pole, one at the South Pole. And they start leaking this warp energy into our world, this kind of tainted spiritual stuff that slowly infects things and turns it into what's known as chaos, which are like your evil, your your evil monsters, your mutants, the gods of chaos are the embodiments of negative emotion that mm-hmm. from all these beings traveling through the the warp, again coalesced into these these actual sentient self empowered entities. And it, it ends it ends up being like kind of a generic fantasy setting that they started fleshing things out. And it, it's I think because it's it's a British thing. The British role-playing games are always really into setting yeah. and in and into tone. And when you start and never into rules. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's true too. They 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 kind of like to sort of give you just enough mechanics to give you the idea, and then mm-hmm. you go running. They even you go running with it on your own. They even did that with um old school advanced dungeons and dragons like um white dwarf which was the games workshop gaming magazine yeah published AD&D adventures that were comedies and were murder mysteries and were dramas and there's one it's a soap opera it has to do with the players mucking in at this party to figure out how the court in this one kingdom works to to sort it all out and and here it was you know i attack a gazebo how many hit points ah. <laughs> right know. Okay, well, mm. the answer is 54, so keep hacking. <laughs> Has a hardness of 10. Exactly. <laughs> oh, hardness. Oh, man, you're one of you new gamers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whatever. Back in my day, armor class zero was a good armor class, damn it. Yeah, but... and you also had things like non, non-combat skills, like, oh, I have a plus 10 to cooking. Oh, boy. That was a good waste of my intelligence skills. <laughs> 
Depends. If you set up a good cooking stand, you can make a lot of money. You're an adventurer, you git. <laughs> <laughs> See? And and that fits. That was like kind of our ideal that we focused mm. on the action pack stuff. And I think Warhammer as a setting, as its own thing, really kind of starts coming out of the, the role-playing game. Because they did this attempt, they wanted your usual like evil mutants and minions and demons but they wanted something a little more coalesced in the setting and that's what starts them the chaos thing is kind of the first thing that really that that makes warhammer its own setting Mm -hmm. so chaos is really what makes warhammer warhammer it's it's one of the things it's it's that idea that um that evil there's kind of a core origin for evil, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a bad thing in the universe, and it's like you can't. It's it's kind of Cthulhu esque in the mm. idea that you can't argue with chaos because chaos doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Chaos wants blood, pox, change, or pleasure, and mm-hmm. you can the only you cannot appease chaos. It's kind of like. Um, it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll just give some, you know, we'll give some blood to Corn. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. no. No, he wants all corn, the blood. Corn wants all of the blood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you can't, you, there's no half measures with chaos, which means that, unfortunately, when you have a government system that is working against something that you can't have half measures against, well, problems start to crop up. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an uh, interesting way of putting it, but makes sense. <laughs> I'm being I'm being real real cagey with this at this point because we're <laughs> not quite to the point of uh, Warhammer introducing the Empire and Sigmar and all that. Who's mm-hmm. it and what's it's <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and originally it's basically just D and D with a darker edge to it, basically, mm-hmm. and, and well, a little more, a little more. A little more flavor, which is how I first experienced it and enjoyed it, actually. I mean, the, the nice thing about Warhammer was that it had this dark setting. Oh, yeah, the other thing that I really enjoyed. Now, I think this would be second edition role-playing I'm talking about, but whatever, um, is the idea that you could your characters could actually evolve through career paths and such. Mm. And that was something I'd actually never seen in a role-playing game back in the day before. Back like Again, we're talking the 80s here. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that you could have these characters that had career paths. You know, I could become like a, you know, a witch hunter and then later on it become like, a, I don't know, a, you know, a demon hunter or something like that. You kind of, yeah. you have to pay your dues. You have to work your way up. That was actually something that games didn't do back in those days. So that was actually quite unique. I mean, Elf was a class, or yeah, Elf was a character class at some point. So it was, this was back in this the 70s, is a big yes. departure. Yeah, yeah. By the time I'm talking about Elf, was no longer a character class. But yes, thank God <laughs> <laughs> that that stops by the 70s. I think maybe by 81 or so. I thought that was up into AD and D, but it's been a hot. I've never really played Advanced it, Dungeons and Dragons. It was up into AD and D, I think, wasn't it, Don? Okay. Or yeah, because. What what happened if you're you're talking like how D and D worked the uh, the demi humans which were the 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 good non human races mm. yeah the the very original white box game you could be like a dwarven fighter and there was basically a couple penalties to your dice rolls a couple bonuses mm. a couple of abilities when they simplified the game and did the uh, the original red box version elf and dwarf 
were they were character classes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when they got to AD and D, they brought back the idea that you would have your your character's race and class would be two different things. Mm. Okay, good. So it was originally different, then they they simplified it, then they split it up again later on. Yeah. That's okay. what made it advanced. Okay, so, but Warhammer never did that shit. They were mm-hmm. always separate. You know, Warhammer, you mm-hmm. were an elf, or... Actually, there's an interesting... Did Warhammer have elves in the original version? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a catch, too, with what you guys are getting at. Mm-hmm. When Dungeons & Dragons comes mm-hmm. out... It's it's a, a, a tabletop role playing game based on sword and sorcery stories, but Dungeons and Dragons has really its mm-hmm. own feel because of the nature of the rules. It, it's right. that you start as like a first right. level nobody, and when you get to tenth level, you can have your own kingdom. And that the the way magic is decked out, the way like monsters work, there's just like dungeons littering the countryside in in the game, mm-hmm. and. Every game that came after that for a long time was some permutation of the D&D style setting. Uh, And this is why I say Warhammer was the Mm -hmm. first fantasy game that really kind of broke from that mold. And again, it's because they got more into the setting itself. Um, You're both kind of forgetting the the most exciting part of the original uh, Warhammer roleplay version. Was you don't pick your character class, you roll for it, and you could have, you, you could roll like, I'm a beggar with leprosy, right. and that was like what you're starting as, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought the most exciting point of uh, Warhammer roleplay, or I might be skipping ahead a little bit, um, was uh, rolling to see if you died during the night. <laughs> oh yeah, there's different and spending a fate point to make sure you didn't. <laughs> Yeah, there's there was different provisions for that. That that was some. Yeah, these these were things they added. Might have been later. Yeah, it was a little later because it it had to do with different settings. Mm-hmm. Because when the original fantasy game came out, the Warhammer world was only kind of vaguely um, vaguely envisioned by the people at the company, and they would add stuff like that because there's different mm-hmm. forests and and different kingdoms where yeah you don't want to spend the night outside because it's Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm gonna make our you dead check. Um, that was the other thing too that Warhammer really added. And one of the running gags here, it's uh, from an ad for um, the Orcs Nest, I believe it was, it was a big hobby shop in Britain back in the '80s. And they take out these like comic book page style ads, and one of them was in the background. You see like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay with added death. <laughs> Because the game is brutal, like for and it's not just that your character dies; it's fairly realistic in its representation of medieval warfare. In that, any encounter you'll get like an arm hacked off or an eye poked out or all kinds of like just terrible, terrible things. Right, and I mean, if I remember right, in Warhammer, don't you only have like you have a really, really low number of hit points? Yeah, and they can low. they can disappear in a hurry because it's usually the average person has seven. <laughs> yeah, and you have a That's tough rating. And if I yeah. hit you, I take my strength plus the damage modifier for the weapon plus a d six. If I roll a d six, there's a chance that I can just keep rolling that d six and adding it. So you can. Our our joke was always, "Oh, it's a naked goblin with a pointy stick. Run away! Run away!" <laughs> so, <laughs> And and that 
and that that was where fate points came right. in. Was that your character started with a a couple of uh, usually usually it was around two. I think it was like half a d six of points that if you died, you could spend it and just miraculously not be dead. Cause the idea was, especially at the beginning, no, you're one of those nameless peasants in the background scene pretty much, but it definitely gave it a unique feel. And it definitely made, uh, made Warhammer feel like something different from typical mm-hmm. American heroic D and D. Yep. <laughs> so that's the first edition yep. of the role-playing game came out. So what happened next? Okay. Cause yeah, the, when the role-playing game came out, you also had, I believe it was the third edition of the, the war game, which is the one that took off. Mm-hmm. And it was the one because they started, um, again, they built more on the setting. The idea of the career path in the uh, the role-playing game was kind of mirrored in how you bought troops in the war game because you could buy them up. So you could have like a, a troop. You could have a, oh, how did it go? It was like a troop, a hero a major hero and a champion. That sounds right. But again, like, yeah. Cause that was the first, um, the first kind of example in a game of any kind of progression. The idea was that if, if you had an orc champion, it was a set number of bonus points you added to their stat and it had like a set cost. Ooh, <laughs> that's excessive. <laughs> well, it, it kind of was, um, that gets into uh, a few years later. They mm-hmm. did the uh, Warhammer 40k. The first I... supplement, you mean, of Rogue Trader? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now you you <laughs> got it. You got in with like third edition. I, I got in third said. edition, but I've done done my diligence with uh, Rogue Trader <laughs> and just reading some of the absolutely goofy crap that they put in there. Um. <laughs> Like the extremely, yeah, it's an enormous tome. It's <laughs> got these ridiculous rules for creating Imperial robots. It's the source of Warhammer 40k. And in it, it has rules. Well, not rules, but it also has a um, description of a typical Inquisitor whose name is Obi-Wan Sherlock Clouseau. <laughs> yeah that's true isn't it <laughs> i'm not i know there are some some of you right now on your listening to this on your favorite device and going like bullshit no <laughs> there is also a rogue trader named captain erasmus harlock with two r's i think oh yeah because in 1987 when rogue trader first came out they didn't give a shit not a single one not a single infinitesimal flake of human feculent did they give. <laughs> um, and because of that, they just came up with and continued to come up with goofy crap all over just because it was funny. Uh, you know, they had banana mags for their uh, missile launchers, flamers that looked like roses, uh, a bolter that looked like an AK-47. There was no... There was no editorial direction for it. <laughs> and because it was 1987, nobody cared. And that was okay. Nobody had to care because it wasn't serious. It was goofy crap. And yeah, okay, fine. Um, but this is also where we got certain major characters like Gosgal Mog Erg Thraka, who is definitely not Margaret Thatcher. 
<laughs> I never noticed that. <laughs> to 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 quote Cameron Louder of Loading Ready Run fame, uh, to talk about Warhammer, we need to talk about the 1980s, and there was a woman named Margaret Thatcher, and she ruined an entire generation. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they had just all sorts of crazy crap. Uh, mm. It didn't matter what they made because... Uh, because people who were buying miniatures were like, that's cool. I'll buy this piece of pewter. That's cool. I'll buy this piece of pewter. Why does this dude have, like, wait, why does this Eldar have a las gun? Who knows? <laughs> uh, for those of you who who aren't into the game, Eldar nowadays do not carry las guns, which are laser yeah. rifles. They carry shuriken weapons. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that's better or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a rogue trader. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's the whole point is, is that this is, uh, this is someone who's just mm-hmm. working with whoever they can yeah. get their well, hands yeah. on. That's you, the you point. You hit upon another thing, too, that um, I think anybody under the age of 40 probably wouldn't realize about uh, gaming in general at the time. It was very derivative. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like a lot of role-playing mm. games in that it would be whatever the person writing them was into – Bits of it would creep in. Um, for instance, during the uh, late 80s, early 90s, going through any kind of like new role-playing game supplement, we used to play Spot the Night Sabers. Because <laughs> they're in there somewhere. In Rifts, it was the Triax Hopper armor. It's Celia's armor. There's, uh, I think, in Cyberpunk, I think it's called the Spider. It's it's this light construction uh, power frame. It's Priss's armor. Like, every game had them because everybody loved Bubblegum Crisis. And Starjammer, or Spelljammer, Star, mm-hmm. I was confused it was uh, Starfinder. Oh. Spelljammer had Guyvers in it. They were called Bionoids. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even, not even trying. Wait, yeah, no. that's, that's not even no, hiding anything just, there. This is the Guyver. Uh, yeah. And there's a whole race of them. And they have the Mega Smashers in their chest and the Elbow Blades. Yeah. Listen to Dice Funk right now. There's this, wow. uh, it's a, they're adapting Star, uh, Spelljammer. I keep wanting to call it Starfinder. That's not the game. Uh, <laughs> and they have bionoids in it, and they're just like, oh, man, this is a, this is a knockoff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, because that – well, that was the thing because a lot of um, – a lot of gaming was, wasn't exactly – it's a weird industry. It wasn't super mm-hmm. huge. It wasn't super huge, and there wasn't the internet. <laughs> yeah, and and – what a lot of again it was one person would be working a game like 40k was mostly rick Priestley, mm-hmm. and it was based on an earlier game that he had proposed he, he i think it was 83 he had he'd offered it to him and they said oh i like this science fantasy space thing nobody will buy into that mm-hmm. and they turned him down and if you go through like the original warhammer book not just that but the bomb bot the daleks with wheels yeah the Adeptus Arbites, which are the, uh, the, the they're, basically... They're all Drudge Dread, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, there's Stumgas is equipment in the original 40K, mm-hmm. and that's right out of the Judge Dread comic. Like, Yep. <laughs> and again, it was because it's, it's, it was this potpourri. Uh, the same thing with the original Warhammer. When you got to later versions of Warhammer, they did what they called army lists, mm-hmm. which you'd say, okay, I'm going to be orcs. Uh, we're playing, say, a small game. It'll be 750 points. And then they itemize all your troops. And there's different formula for what I can get and what I can't. And I spend my points to buy my troops and outfit them. Mm-hmm. 
in the early days, especially for the original 40K, they didn't have anything like that. And that was why you'd get like, um, there's a, a famous Imperial Space Marine figure with a needle rifle. Yep. Well, it's a disintegrator rifle now, I think. Well, there it could be anything. And, and, it, and like oh, you true. said, yeah, the Eldar had laser guns because laser guns was kind of the universal generic weapon. Mm-hmm. And it worked. You had charts that you could roll on for for getting your equipment. And it was a really weird setup because you also had to pay points. Right. But you'd roll on these charts and then you had to hope because some of your troops like orcs were a little bit dumber than humans and weapons would have like a minimum IQ thing. So you'd, if you're orcs, you had to hope you rolled stuff your guys were smart enough to carry. Uh. Yeah, it was it was super chaotic. It led to all kinds of weird, unbalanced games. The first supplement they did for 40K was a chapter approved, yep. which is just a collection of articles. But it had um, an Imperial Marine Army list. And that's kind of the first time you really saw that in 40K. They had done something similar a few years earlier for the fantasy game. Mm-hmm. It was General's and, Handbook, wasn't it? Or am I thinking of something else? I think you're right, because I think it was actually the second edition. Mm-hmm. I think the General's Handbook, or it was something similar was the collected army list because they did the Citadel Journal, which was was like a newsletter, and they'd started the idea in there because mm-hmm. it was just this idea that people would just cherry-pick the best stuff and there was really no structure for putting together your army. Yeah, and now there was at that point, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is... Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it helped a lot because we played a lot of early 40K and I can remember... One game, mm-hmm. two games in particular. Oh boy! Uh, the the one was it was orcs versus marines, and what the guy playing orcs did is he just bought a whole bunch of dickweeds and gave them all plasma weapons and hoverboards. I'm sorry, say again, dickweeds. Yeah, yeah, like just is generic... that actual model class or? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the your generic guy. Okay, I'm using uh, I'm using uh, mystery science theater terminology. Dickweeds. <laughs> I, I was I was just worried that like now I haven't gone too deep in the sticks for the original Warhammer, mm-hmm. but considering that big orcs are called knobs, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, back then they were called the dickweeds. Cast, yeah. Got it. Great, cool. <laughs> Print it, ship it. No problems here. <laughs> it's it's an unofficial term, but it could very well have been. Mm-hmm. So so oh, that, yeah, would... that dickweed out of here. <laughs> No, that wasn't the, the official turn. That was our generic one. Mm-hmm. And then they also had 40K had the uh, the infamous virus uh, bomb. Oh, right. That I've heard it, it spoken of in legend. <laughs> yeah, if it kills a guy and there's somebody within two inches on the table, you get to see if it kills them too, and it just keeps spreading. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the game, it was... Uh, this Ian and this guy Stanchu were playing and Ian sets his troops up and Stanchu sets his troops up. Stanchu's like, do you want to put your guys there? And Ian's like, yep. And Stanchu's, are you sure you want to put your guys there? Yep. Mm-hmm. You're positive. Yep. Round one, virus bomb hits one of Ian's guys, wipes out his entire army in one turn. <laughs> one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and then 
when you get to second and third edition 40k, they took a lot of that kind of stuff out, probably for those exact kind of reasons. Not all of it, mind you. Uh, you know, you still had void field or void field stasis field, stasis mm-hmm. bombs, uh, which keep coming in and out of vogue for dark angels. Uh, yeah. But the biggest thing that uh, third edition 40k, which is where I got into it, was was the big pie plate template that oh. your artillery, whatever else it may be, would shoot. And anything under it gets hit on a four up. Yeah. Yeah. Get bent. <laughs> oh, you have a huge mass of guardsmen. Let me just take care of that for you. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of the running gag though with Imperial guard is you, there's just so many of them. We have reserves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's even better for anybody who hasn't played in 40 K. The typical squad is 10 guys. Yep. It can be five. It can be 20, but on average it's 10. So if I buy like a troop choice for Marines, that'd be a tactical squad, 10 guys. If I buy a troop choice for Imperial Guard, it's a platoon, which is a five-guy command section and <laughs> one one to four squads of like 10 to 20 other guys. So that can be like 60 guys is one choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, mm, yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> and thanks to the, the way the rules work in 8th edition now, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the LAS rifles, which I will always pronounce with a long A because that is how words work, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it is come, it comes from laser rifle. Um, I have friends who pron- <laughs> uh, pronounce it that way and it drives me up the friggin' wall. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you have that many LAS guns, guess what? You can kill pretty much anything if you roll enough sixes. Mm. <laughs> That's a little different because uh, the old versions, the mm-hmm. the 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 las guns really kind of blue. Like in the older versions of the game, now I'm not mm-hmm. familiar with all the way to eighth, but the older versions, weapons had a strength rating, and guys you hit had a tough rating, and you made a check. Compared, it's still like to, that. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So the way it works now is, I'm a space marine. I'm shooting a bolt rifle or my bolt gun, because a bolt rifle is a different thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, strength four hits a, uh, hits a guardsman who has toughness three, wounds him on a three, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds normal. If mm-hmm. I shoot at something, if I shoot at a grot, which has a toughness of two, then it wounds him on a two. Mm-hmm. Anything between f- toughness five and toughness seven is now wounded on a five, and anything toughness eight and above is wounded on a six. Now, it could be toughness eight. It could be toughness 80. It still wounds on a six. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because... Then what's the point of having higher toughness, then, if everything is going to still be... Do you know how many... Number? Okay, so you have a one in six chance of rolling a six on a single die, right? Mm-hmm. You have a right. one in 36 chance of hitting two sixes. You have... Uh, you know, and it it escalate it grows from yeah, there. Yeah, this is not saying that you're not going. And if you're hitting something with something that's low strength, there's probably they're probably going to get your what's called an armor save, mm-hmm. which on anything that's more than toughness eight is probably a three plus, or maybe even a two plus. So you have to roll over a three on a six sided dice, which is infinitesimal or infinitely easier than hitting than rolling consecutive sixes yeah rolling a six yeah yeah so yeah 
it's just, it's just a balance thing. So in 40k, starting in second edition, I believe, and all the way up to seventh, they had what was called armor values for things that were basically tanks. Yeah, uh, and it started at ten and it went up to fourteen, uh, and you had to beat that to to damage those vehicles. You had to beat ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen on a dice with an appropriate weapon. Mm-hmm. So if I shoot something with, if I shoot something that's strength eight at something that has armor value fourteen, I have to hit that six to damage it. Mm-hmm. Or hang on. Yeah, six. <laughs> now, there are special rules involved in that, but it means that the toughest vehicles are almost impenetrable to anything other than massed weapons fire. Now, they don't do that anymore because that slowed the game down horrendously. Yeah. So in modern 40K, what you get is a calamitous noise in the background. Huh. <laughs> uh <laughs> So in modern 40k, what you get is uh, now toughness values for everything across the board, which is why they changed it. So now you wound anything on a six. For example, I have an army full of Imperial Knights, which are a relatively new thing, and they are all toughness eight. So you can technically shoot bolters at it and bring it down, but you'll be shooting at it all game to make that happen. Yeah. So just fun other weird stuff going on. Yeah, because... Back back right. in the day, the way it, the, the the original one worked, and up until like third or fourth, is if you had that strength three laser gun, and you fired mm-hmm. it at something with a toughest seven, you just could not hurt it. Yeah, and then I think it was second edition that they added the idea, like you were saying, um, things like vehicles and buildings had an armor rating mm-hmm. that only certain weapons could hurt period like you needed like a like a power weapon or an artillery barrage if i shoot it with a laser gun i just didn't get a chance to to, to hurt it at all mm-hmm. it, that's why they're called flashlights in the you know <laughs> angry flashlights in the parlance yeah <laughs> and yeah that that sounds like an odd kind of an odd chain i can almost see it like playing the original if you were playing like a big big points thing and you had tanks and you had greater demons and stuff there were very few weapons that could hurt those and that used to come what it would come down to is can i wipe out your heavy weapon teams before they take out my tanks Mm -hmm. incidentally it's fairly i I don't say it's kind of like modern warfare but it's very similar like okay we have these targets we have to kill and everything else is gravy yeah yeah that seems kind yeah it's kind of Again, it's one of those changes I not I can't say how I feel about it either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. It changed the game, period. Yeah. Which some people take to better than others. Yeah. And once we start talking about mm-hmm. Age of Sigmar, then we're that's gonna normal. Talk about change a little bit, but that's down the road. Mm. Well, we're kind of getting there because. Mm-hmm. Well, what ends up happening with uh, a lot of the the different games they did is Games Workshop when you get to the late eighties going into the nineties, they're always looking for new ways to merchandise their setting Mm -hmm. because by the late Mm eighties they have, and it's, it's a setting. Uh, They tied in the Warhammer world to 40 K through, through the salon. Mm -hmm. And at this time now they've never said for sure if the, the fantasy world 
is the world that like the emperor came from or any of that sort of thing. Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they, they... the the official fluff is now that the emperor appeared in Anatolia, modern day Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, after a bunch of mystics mm-hmm. and psychers of the time all sort of committed a mass suicide. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they didn't just pull okay. him from the other, from Age of Sigmar. <laughs> mm. So at that point, like up until very recently, it was just like, sure, maybe Warhammer Fantasy happens on a planet in the 40K universe. Maybe it's a like side dimension. Who knows? Because yeah. we're not paying mm-hmm. very good attention to what our lore is. Well, there's there's that too, and and at at this time when you're getting to the the end of the 80s, yeah, there isn't quite that much lore yet. Mm-hmm. Like in the fantasy setting, the Bretonians haven't come about yet. They have. You've got the Empire. They've said it's basically a bunch of city states that are united under under the banner of the emperor but they don't quite get into that that pops up in the early 90s like they did uh they did spin-off games for their settings mm-hmm. and one they did for fantasy was Mordheim all oh, right and mm-hmm. and that's kind of where you started to see them codifying what the empire was in the fantasy world because the idea of Mordheim is Mordheim was one of these big cities and it gets smashed by a comet and it wipes okay. out. And local legend is that this comet was sent by the god Sigmar, because the Warhammer world is always polytheistic, except 40k, where mm-hmm. they worship the emperor more or less, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But in the fantasy world, Mordheim was this world of like the city of sin, and it gets wiped out. But the comet that does it was Warpstone, and Warpstone is uh, this pure energy from this other dimension in physical form. So people from other locations and different groups and that go to Mordheim to get this stone. And the idea of the game was you had a little war band and you fought and you'd get treasure and you'd get warp stone and you could sell it. Or if you had wizards or evil guys, they could use it to do things. And when they did Mordheim, mm-hmm. they talked about three of the other big cities. They talked about uh, Middenheim. Uh, it was Marienburg and uh, Reichland. And Marineburg had kind of come up in the fantasy role-playing game. It's 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 kind of Venice, kind of like pre just pre-Renaissance Venice. It's mm-hmm. this it's a rich city. They're into the arts, they're into like innovation and that. I heard Lich City. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there there's a little bit of that too, because it's the Warhammer world, and there's always evil hidden just behind. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. and that was where you started seeing them fleshing out the the fantasy world more they'd done supplements in that for the for the 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 fantasy game before and i think the fantasy game at that time they were kind of designing them in parallel because you started after mordheim came out you'd see more detailed stuff pertaining to uh the fantasy setting proper that tied in but i think mordheim because you're dealing with smaller groups and they had a they had like a uh, like a semi monthly magazine. They could put these ideas out quicker. So through Mordheim, you were getting a taste like they did uh, uh, Hamri, which is ancient Egypt more or less. They did um, mm-hmm. the the one jungle. I can't remember what it was. Uh, oh crap! 
Lustria. Lustria, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's where the lizard men are from. Yep. And and they, they did all of these ideas through Mordheim, which I think filtered into the bigger setting, and, and Mordheim was kind of the test bed for it. Because what you got around that time, and this leads into the uh, the Age of Sigmar, they did a campaign for Mordheim called uh, Empire in Flames. Mm. And it was supposed to be where the city-states were uprising and it was lawlessness, but like uh between them as as the empire in general was collapsing and and all that that kind of good chaotic stuff and other kingdoms were moving in and i think that again set the stage cuz uh explain a little bit cuz the age of sigmar is a little past kind of my prime so explain a little bit exactly how that works well where where do you want to start <laughs> okay so there was the campaign called the end times which said, hey, you know all this 30-ish years of lore and stuff that we've been building up? There's no place that we can really effectively take it anymore because we've done everything. Mm. Uh, And since we want to, like, people are still playing with models that came out 30 years ago or 20 years ago or, you know, 10 years ago in some places. Mm Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which would bring us to about 2005. Age of Sigmar happens in 2015, gear take, and says, okay, chaos has won. Congrats, you did it. All the bad things that could have possibly happened have happened. Uh, and so Sigmar, the god of the empire, in his glory, kicks in the door and says, nope, nope, no. And basically the universe is sundered. Uh, the the old world no longer exists. It is split into seven or eight different mortal realms, um, each corresponding with a school of magic, mm. uh, which I can't name for the life of me because I'm relatively new to AOS. Um, <laughs> but all these realms are like where everybody everybody goes the realm of the heavens is for sigmar and sigmar is taking heroes and other people who are worthy of being reforged and reforging them into uh his what are affectionately maybe not so affectionately referred to as sigmarines Mm. uh who are (laughs) the storm the stormcast eternals Mm -hmm. um uh he has taken back the hammer of the his great hammer Galmaraz, which was uh the Emperor's weapon in Emperor Carl Franz's weapon in Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now the problem was that he stole all these people away, locked the doors of Azir, and nobody has seen him since until he boots down the door again and says, Hey, I got these Sigmarines here, and we're gonna bring order to the realms. That hmm. That means that Korn and uh, Nurgle and uh, Zinch and the Great Horned Rat, we don't know where Slaanesh is quite yet, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like the elves did something to knock the shit out of him slash her, them, uh, mm-hmm. and and lock them away somewhere because it's really hard to get kids into something that has a god of sex. <laughs> Who knew? True. Uh, I'd think it'd be mm. easy, actually, if I remember my childhood. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. It's a different era. Different era. <laughs> um, the the lizard men are now demons of order, mm. uh, as befitting their status as the memories of the slan. Uh, oh, let's see what else. The um, there are no Bretonians. There are no Kemri anymore. Except for Nagash, who is the god of the death now, by the oh, okay. way. <laughs> so speaking of people who did real well for themselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they they shook up everything. And there was a lot of lore and a lot of families and a lot of this and a lot of that. And it just, you know what? The uh, the new CEO from of Games Workshop, Kevin Roundtree... Mm. first of his name blessed be it said (laughs) okay well look this world is stagnant and the only thing that we can i can really think to do is to smash it on the ground and Mm. that made a lot of people real mad and that made a lot of people say oh hey what's this game oh look all the old neckbeards aren't playing it anymore Mm. so Mm. uh say what you will about age of sigmar and it had a bad start because it had like little war bands and it didn't have any real direction and it didn't really have like points associated with it. So it was kind of do whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> the general yeah, whatever yeah, you want, general's handbook ahead. 2017 said, ha, oh, 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 we have, we have dropped that ball real hard. Here are points costs. Here's match play. Here's open play. Here's all this. And it became, um, the basis for what Warhammer 40k turned into. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, he was just like, we gotta we gotta wipe this slate clean, kids. And lo and behold, the slate was wiped clean. Um but hey Let let me translate for comic fans here. They had a crisis yep. on infant Earth and they basically smashed everything and rebuilt yeah. it all from scratch. Uh, there we you remember go. how the new 52 like people didn't know if they liked it or not? Uh-huh. Um, oh, there we go. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. they are they are carrying on uh it's more I guess it's more like rebirth. Maybe, right. I don't know. Yeah, well, but yeah. Here's here's the thing. You can argue all you want about oh, well, uh I I don't want to play Age of Sigmar because it's not Warhammer Fantasy. That's cool. There are plenty of people who are because profits have doubled since last year. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, game shot. Well, all the old fans are rebuying. Well, all there's shit, new right? stuff too. Uh, they've they've upped the scale of a lot of things. So mm. there's there's just more stuff to buy, and certain armies like Camry mm-hmm. or the uh, oh, what are the Tomb Kings mm-hmm. don't exist anymore. Uh, certain armies like the Bretonians don't exist anymore because there's no Bretonia anymore. Right. You can still play them. You can still play the Empire as well. It's just they're called the Free Peoples and they don't really have a codex. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so they can create more uh, source book for each and every one of those Free Peoples. Almost. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in other words, they made it more marketable. And they made it so that they can start from scratch and even do even more marketing Pretty than they did before. Pretty much. Now, this is coming after Games Workshop had like sunk to its lowest point. Uh, at this point, it has seen record highs in its um, annual reports every year. Mm-hmm. They're making money hand over fist, and it only got 
quote on well i don't know if better but it only got more as they released mm. the new edition of warhammer 40,000 which everyone has pretty much agreed that it's pretty pretty all right <laughs> <laughs> you may not like some aspects of it but everything is still there and like the game goes faster uh, points are being actively checked <laughs> mm-hmm. like they are doing a good job of being a modern game company sending out patches every couple of months and and like fixing problems essentially in the game whereas mm-hmm. the the last guy to run GW said we're a model company not a game company figure it out mm-hmm. yeah, yeah if that doesn't true. set off warning bells in your head I don't know what will <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't really kind of poo-poo them too much for that because part of the problem with, like, say, a games workshop is they're big and mm-hmm. they got to keep moving product. Like, they're they're a publicly traded company. They have no choice. And the reformatting and redesigning, like, they've they've done that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where, like I said, if 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 you look at um the the earliest days of Warhammer Fantasy. They didn't have a setting. And when you get to the end of the 80s, they're starting to have a setting. But by we get to the middle of the 90s, they've codified their setting and it's different from what they had at the end of the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing at 40K. 40K has been the, the setting itself has been reinvented a few times. Uh, case, mm-hmm. in, case in point, somewhere along the way, we lost the squats. They were eaten by Tyranids. <laughs> the all-purpose example. <laughs> yeah. And for, for any... They're, oh. Yeah, they're still out there, actually. They just released a new, a single one, mm-hmm. you know, open parentheses, one, close parentheses, single <laughs> squat model for yeah. um, Necromunda, which is new and still exists, which is like Mordheim, basically. Yeah, yeah, because... Uh, for anybody who's not familiar, squats were the Warhammer 40k dwarves. Yep. And Necromunda is about uh, gang fights in one of the biggest uh, city planets in the uh, 40k universe. Mm-hmm. So, see, so yeah, I can't really. The only thing I'm kind of not super pleased with them about was uh, all their new models are 32 millimeter. Not all of them. And a lot of them are. Most of them. <laughs> yeah, and it makes them. You can use them. With the old 28 millimeter ones, but the new guys are like a head taller. Right. Well, there's a good reason for that. But mm-hmm. Primaris Marines are the new kids on the block from for 8th edition. Mm-hmm. And they're more accurate to what the Space Marines and the Fluff are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, they have a number of dumb names. Uh, like New Marines. Uh, Adeptus Restartes, I think, is the best one. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Eighth Marines, <laughs> Big Mars, Space Sig Marines, Gila Marines, Special Snowflake Marines, Marines Two, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> uh, the replacements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are actually bigger and stronger than normal Space Marines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were moving regular Space Marines off of the twenty-eight millimeter bases that they frankly did not fit on. Like, make no mistake, yeah. <laughs> onto the thirty. 32 ones at the end of seventh and now in eighth they're like no all marines should go on this you can still play with your 28 millimeter ones because range doesn't really matter for in general you you measure from the model yeah so but 
at the same point, like you can tell who the guys who've been playing for a very long time are yeah. because they're the ones with the Marines that are like, I'm on this base, I think. Well, they got the little, sh- all the little short guys. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's that now that's kind of a sneaky thing too, because back in like uh, the early eighties games workshop, when, when Citadel had officially become part of them mm-hmm. kind of sneakily, they did what they called heroic scale which was 28 millimeter because gaming miniatures prior to that were 25 millimeter. Oh yeah. And what it, what it basically does is going, going that, that way, going from, from uh, 25 to 28, the 28 guys look more heroic. They look like superheroes. Yeah. When you go to 32, I, I can't help but, but wonder if, it's partly to make you have to rebuy all your dudes because they don't look right. Cause again, I'll have an Imperial guard captain who's now mm-hmm. standing a head taller than all of my old Imperial Marines. <laughs> well, I mean, part of that, I mean, and part of that is true. Mm-hmm. Part of it is also because of the way that they codified the weapons and the force organizations stuff. Like you can have a Marine running around with a combo bolter that has a you know a bayonet on the end of it and a disintegrator rifle under it, uh, like the Imperial Space Marine model TM mm-hmm. trademark registered game workshop whatever. <laughs> uh, but he he better fit into your force organization or you're out of luck. And it's just like okay, yeah. And what you see is what you get is or WYSIWYG in the parlance of the. <laughs> Wargamer uh, is important and is something that tournaments will hold you to a standard of. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, that's important. Now they haven't done a whole ton to change up who gets to hold, uh, you know, which of your dudes gets to have a laser cannon and which of you guys gets to have the flamethrower for the most part since third edition. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have changed the models and they have changed the look of some of these guns. And let me tell you, those old flamer models ne- will never look right to me. Yeah. Yeah. They have a weird head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part of that, too, like in the early days of, say, 40K, they had problems that the technology for making miniatures just couldn't do some of the stuff that the setting required. Yeah. Like uh, Games mm-hmm. Workshop was one of the first companies to really make a go of doing plastic gaming miniatures. Mm-hmm. Which was not good. <laughs> well, at the start, it wasn't. Heritage did it way back in the 70s, but they basically just did plastic like casts of the regular miniatures, and it kind of uh, yeah. didn't, didn't always work. But when Games Workshop got the hang of it, because that was the big thing for them was uh, in the 80s when they started doing horses. Hmm. And the plastic horses, as they themselves had pointed out, in the early days, the the lead miniature horses weren't quite the right size. They were a little smaller because otherwise for materials and weight and shipping, it would cost too much. Right. But the plastic ones were a little more in scale, and that worked out. Uh, when you get to third edition, a lot of the plastic stuff they did for third edition was actually pretty good. Yeah, I still have plenty of uh, third edition miniatures floating around in my my gaming nook if you mm-hmm. will um now there's they're off scale now but yeah. <laughs> by now like by then they kind of hadn't had an idea of what they were doing now they might not have looked great 
but the material was sound. Yeah. And that was that was more that was a concern for me when I was a kid and now also mm-hmm. um that like oh if I put a little bit of glue here, oh look at that, my miniature is starting to disintegrate. Uh, <laughs> problems, miniature problems, and especially the way mm. like as as they got more advanced with the way that their their game itself expanded uh with oh well you get this many dudes who have to have this weapon and one guy gets to hold this gun and one guy gets to hold this type of gun mm. you know they <laughs> and i wouldn't be caught dead putting magnets on anything from third edition but uh <laughs> i know i knew plenty of people who would yeah ballsy <laughs> Yeah, I knew but, people, uh, yeah. people did that too. You just put a pin, but yeah. Again, the, you're at, <laughs> when I'm coming into this, it's 2001. I am 14 years old, and I don't know what a Dremel is. <laughs> ah, okay. Warhammer will teach you. There, mm-hmm. there... It, it tells me it taught me I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with a Dremel. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was there was another weird thing about Games Workshop shifting to plastic. Mm-hmm. And in the late 80s, I want to say 87 or 80, it was 87 or 88, mm-hmm. there was a thing in North America because early gaming miniatures were lead and or pewter, which is kind of yep. the same thing. When you got to like 87, I want to say, there were hearings in the States as to the the, the dangers presented by the toxicity of having like those those lead miniatures. Mm-hmm. Well, most of we were talking about it in our gasoline, but we were also like, maybe lead paint is a bad thing. So maybe yeah. lead in general is not something we want our children to be handling. Maybe lead isn't something anybody should be handling. And it turns out they were right. <laughs> they they were. There was when they did the investigation to the gaming minis. It it was uh, the, mm-hmm. nothing came of it. There wasn't like any official proclamations handed down by the U.S. government or that. But it scared a lot of the companies, and that's where you saw them mm-hmm. either going to plastics. Was Games Workshop had the the heads up on? They'd already been doing that for a couple of years. Yeah, and you had the shift to uh, what they call white metal. Yep, which is what they are mm-hmm. now. Which I believe is a uh, it's some kind of weird like tin aluminum sort of alloy. Yeah, it's a uh, tin based, usually used for the surfaces of bearings. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I was that was one of the things I like about a lot of companies now going to either the uh, fine cast resins or the plastics is they're mm-hmm. so much easier to work with, especially if you do customizing. Oh boy, let me tell you. Mm. Fine cast was not without its hiccups mm. and foibles, shall we say. Yeah. But we we can we can swing back around on that one. <laughs> right. Actually, I think we should pause for a minute here because uh, we're getting pretty deep in the weeds. And let's uh, let's refocus for a sec. So, Don, how exactly did you get into Warhammer? Uh, what ended up happening is I got into gaming miniatures before I got into gaming. Mm. And I, I mentioned I got into mm-hmm. gaming miniatures about around 76 or 77. And then I got into the mm-hmm. gaming afterwards. And we got a bunch of the the, the Citadel minis here. I didn't play like the Warhammer when it came out. I wasn't a big tabletop wargaming guy until they started making the Warhammer 40k announcements. Mm. Like I loved fantasy right. roleplay, and we got the White Dwarf because White Dwarf covered a bunch of different games and had a lot of good stuff for for the role playing game 
when it came out. But the 40K, because mm-hmm. 40K, it's this brilliant mix of weird, creepy, science, fantasy, ultra-militaristic, testosterone-riddled, oh my god, could that guy have a bigger gun kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was great. And then mm-hmm. the first thing they put out was the original box set of Plastic Marines, which were parts. Right. And you put them together and it was super easy for customizing and everything here instantly you came up with your own chapter. And you did all your Oh, uh, was that mm-hmm. the one with the Templars on the front of it? No, they were the uh, Crimson Fist. It's the old beaky ones. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean like the very original one. And then we fell in love with that. And the whole, everybody here was just grabbing up those box sets and putting together like mm. giant marine armies just because it was fun to put them and customize them and paint your own things. And that was kind of what really got me into the, uh, uh, I came into Warhammer. Yeah. Mostly by way of 40 K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and so, and 40 K you, just, everything yeah. kind of went from there. Then. All downhill from there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how about you, Prof? What's your Warhammer? All right. Well, um, the year is 2000 or yeah, 1999, 2000. And I'm like, mm, hey, this Gundam stuff is real good. I uh, wish there was a role playing game that I could do something like that with. But I guess I'm stuck with old D&D mm-hmm. instead because that's what all my friends play. Hmm. Now, my friends at that point also right. played a game called Warhammer 40,000 in third edition. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm a fat kid in hammer pants. Let's uh, let's see what this is all about. I was neither a fat kid nor I had mm-hmm. hammer pants, but you know, just to kind of paint a picture of an outcast nerd at the time. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. And this sure. is my this is the gaming group that I am still with to this day. Incidentally, wow, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, they were like, "Oh yeah, no, we play we play Warhammer," and one of our uh, one of our asshole friends is a uh, really sucky Eldar player. So, I mean, if you don't want to mm-hmm. get any overlap, you could get into Eldar too. I'm like, that's space elves, right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I got out and I'm like, okay, sure. And they gave me one specific rule in that I was not allowed to mm-hmm. use a shoebox as a wave serpent, which is the only <laughs> Eldar tank because that was what that other guy did. Right. <laughs> and he was a wanker. And he kicked ass doing it. <laughs> yeah. And that guy was an asshole anyway. Um, but so I was like, Okay, you know what? Sure, I'll. I bought the uh, beat up copy of the big black book, as it's called, the Warhammer Forty Thousand Third Edition rule book, from this dude for like twenty bucks because he was just getting out. And mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll spend. I'll spend. I'll drop a couple, couple of bucks here. That's never just a couple of bucks, kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll buy buy some Eldar stuff. Oh, that's weird. All these models seem to be in pewter. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, I was just like, "Hey, I'd like I like the uh, the lore of these super specialized dudes that the Eldar field. I specifically like this one unit in particular, striking scorpions, mm. who have never been good in the history of the entirety of the game, but I still love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, most of the Eldar line that was not their tanks or their basic dudes was all in pewter still. Yeah." I'm 14 years mm-hmm. old. I make most of my money by uh, doing chores and mowing lawns. And even then, not very much. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
sure, why not? So I get into the hobby and I go to college and I play it all through, uh, yeah, all through high school. <laughs> Sorry. My brain just turned off in the it's middle of high the school. Sentence. Uh, I, I said university because I know that's how, uh, some folks in Europe call high school. That's not true at all. Or call or no, it's college no, it's not. is high school and university is university. Sorry. I was just, I yes, got my, that's got correct. my nomenclature screwed up. Why can't you people do it on the American system? It's the best way. Uh, he says, well, talking about a British game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to two Canadians. Yep. <laughs> to two Canadians who invited yep, him onto exactly. a podcast to talk about anime last time. Uh, <laughs> hmm. We all make mistakes. <laughs> we all make mistakes. Like anime. Anyway, uh, so I'm in. That's true. Uh, so I, I build up a fairly decent sized army can't win a game to save my life because hmm. i can't roll for beans hmm. eh, that's fine whatever i'm having fun um go off to college don't think about it too much kind of drop off the grid with my group of friends until about 2008 uh at which point they're like hey do you still have your warhammer stuff i'm like sure i guess and i get back in on fourth edition and then i haven't really left the hobby since uh i've I've bought several more armies in the interim, but uh, mm-hmm. because that's because when you can't think of anything to do in Warhammer and you don't know what else uh, to do with the armies you have, the answer is always start a new one. Mm. Yeah, that, that's not okay. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, and how and how many units are in a typical Warhammer army? Mm, oh, I just. I just put my head in my hands a little bit there thinking about it. How many units? Yeah, how many units are we talking? Like for people who have no idea okay. what Warhammer is, um, the, how many units are you fielding in a standard Warhammer okay, army? So in the rules, as have been since 3rd edition going forward to now, there is something called a force organization chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that breaks down right. everything in your army into separate categories. Uh, your headquarters, which right. are your heroes, basically, like your captains and your mm-hmm. commanders and your chaplains and your what have yous and your guys with the psychic powers and your magicians and your whatevers. Uh, there are troops, which are just your basic dudes, your frontline guys. These guys will get killed. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, what they're there for. They're there to do. Sometimes they carry special weapons. Sometimes they don't. It doesn't matter because they're there to die. Uh, you get elites, uh, you get fast attack, which are like guys on jet bikes or, uh, fly, well, flyers are a different thing now. Uh, Mm. heavy support, which is the dudes with the big knock, you know, knockout tanks, guns or tanks in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have flyers, which are pretty recent, uh, which are like jets or helicopters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or something altogether different, like, uh, Tyranids, for example, don't have jets or helicopters. They have Rodan. Yeah. They have up to three yeah. Rodan in every army. <laughs> awesome. Or, um, and finally, you have what are called Lords of War, which are the biggest models you can get. Mm-hmm. And I have bunches of them because I love giant <laughs> robots so much. Uh, I have a army full of what are called Imperial Knights. And nobody wants to play against mm-hmm. them because they can just like wipe out armies, and it's great. Um, 
I thought the giant warrior things were called like Adeptus Titanicus okay, or something so, like that. Uh, knights are the smallest of the titans, mm-hmm. and they go up to, if you oh, want to okay. play with a titan in Warhammer 40,000, what you do is you get a giant concrete pillar and you put like toes on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you set that giant concrete pillar down on whatever gaming table you have, and that is the Warlord Titan, which is the biggest. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Adeptus Titanicus mm-hmm. is a specialist game that's been on out, in and out of vogue yeah. for the last 30 years, give yeah. or take. Uh, and the Titans featured there are mecha-sized and up. Yeah. Like, some are mm-hmm. several kilometers tall. <laughs> yeah, because... Okay, and some then. are not. <laughs> Because they did the when they did a Titanicus, they created what they called epic scale for the miniatures, mm-hmm. which is like one half mm-hmm. HO scale, which is yeah, fucking hard to paint a squad of Marines when they're like two millimeters high. But yeah, but that was yeah, the the, the knights okay. they recently added it's the um, you think of like the the scout titans. 440k that the models the models for those damn things are still like a foot foot and a half high aren't they mm-hmm. yeah cause, yeah because that gets at the one thing i can't say i didn't like about third edition 40k but it was problematic in earlier versions something like a tank would be like a rare tree mm-hmm. you'd have one maybe two of them in your army Yep. When you got the third edition, they started adding more provisions for different armies could get bunches of them. And you could even make an Imperial Guard armored regiment. Yep. Because oddly enough, all the players I know here made armored regiments and the regimental colors were gold and black for some reason. A, that That's an in-joke. Those are the colors of our local actual Canadian Armed Forces armored regiment. We're- so fun fact, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you think that's nerdy? My uh, The first thing that my buddies said when... Uh, they saw my knight army was like, mm-hmm. huh, that's weird. Is your, is your knight, are your knights all from uh, Notre Dame? Because <laughs> they're green and gold. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Notre Dame is about three miles west of me, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That so explain it. Now, Notre Dame is blue and gold. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But it didn't stop this pack of jokers from laughing at my awesome knights. And then I stomped them into the dirt. Yeah. See, but that that gets at the problem mm. with adding like the, the, the larger vehicles and more vehicles is mm. play area. If if you're fielding yeah. like an Imperial Guard armored regiment, you're looking at maybe, I'm going to say, somewhere between 9 and 15 tank models. Mm-hmm. And the models themselves are maybe like half a foot. Yeah. And you're going to want to have a little bit of spacing because you don't want somebody to drop an artillery barrage in your entire group. And Well, luckily, templates don't exist anymore, oh, okay. so you're a little bit safer from that. <laughs> that helps. But then they're moving it. Two years ago, that would have still been correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and that was – and you're moving all these things along, and they move pretty quick. You're looking at, like, maybe at like a foot a, a turn. Mm-hmm. You need, like, a really – like that's not a kitchen table, like – you're you're going to be completely littering the kitchen table with like forces, and that was where I can't say like the idea of the extra vehicles and the 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 mecha and that now and and the flyers like the actual like fighter bombers and that they're neat. The models are absolutely fantastic, but 
holy shit, I need to rent a football stadium now for the game. <laughs> uh, I find a six by four, yeah, a I find a six by four table works just great. That, yeah, but as, as yeah, but only, we have two of them in the basement that I play in. Okay, because now because I imagine like something like the Knights that they're covering like one of those tables in just a couple turns. Yeah, but the games don't go very long anymore. Oh, okay. So, okay, so difference between 7th edition, which is, I think, the closest thing you'll recognize to 40K because it still had armor values and all that stuff. And, right. Yeah. 7th um, edition, you could get a game done in two hours if you were really booking. Okay. 4th edition said, hey, we're slimming down everything so we can get these games done. Mm-hmm. Like, games used to go for... You know, games usually went for a maximum of seven turns uh, in in the rule book, and they can still go for a maximum of seven turns in right. the rule book. The fact of the matter is that nowadays you will know who won by turn three. Oh, okay. Like, you mm. will have a very clear picture of what's going to happen um, because it's possible to get a turn one charge in now. Oh, okay. Like, and not just possible, extremely likely. Right. Um, and especially if you're a melee-heavy army, that's great. <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> run. Yeah. Okay. But uh... for for non-gamer <laughs> types, a turn basically involves um, moving and attacking. So basically, you can move yeah. and you can attack. That's yeah. basically a turn. But when you have every single unit mm-hmm. doing that. Um, it, that, that's a lot of unit. That's why a turn doesn't sound like very long, but when you've got like 20, 30, 40 units doing that, you've got to work through each of their movements and each of their attacks and everything. It, it takes, takes a, a hot minute. That's for sure. Yeah. But it doesn't take nearly as long as it used to. So yeah, here's the thing. A turn is broken down in Warhammer 40,000 and I'll talk about Age of Sigmar otherwise, but it's fairly similar. Uh, in Warhammer 40,000, you have your movement phase and everybody moves mm. or doesn't move depending on what they did. You have the psychic phase, which is like casting spells and whatnot, except there's no magic in 40K. It's all psychic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is magic. Mm-hmm. Ask the Thousand Suns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in joke. <laughs> uh, then there's the shooting phase, which is pretty much exactly what you imagine it to be with modifiers added and whatever. Mm-hmm. And finally, there's the charge phase. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> this can either be the most interesting or the least interesting part. Because um, obviously you charge about 12 inches. <laughs> yeah, Surprise. And then you do your fighting, which has become a lot more streamlined as well. Yeah. Every model gets X amount of attacks with X weapon or whatever. Wait a moment. Sorry to butt in. but So wait, so you mm-hmm. move, then you do an extra charge on if top of that? you're in range, yes. Yeah. But you have to be in mm-hmm. range. So if there's not a target there, you can't just use it for an extra 12 inches of no, movement No, because or you have to... Okay, so you roll 2d6 if you want to charge. Mm-hmm. And depending on what comes up on those dice, plus or minus modifiers, you um, you either make it or you don't. If you don't make it, you stay put. Mm-hmm. And you are going to get countercharged next turn. Yeah. Or you're just going to get shot to pieces before that. Additionally, now models right. can do what's called overwatching. Now, this was something that was present in 2nd edition and not in 3rd and not in 4th or 5th, but made a comeback in 6th, 7th, and 8th, mm-hmm. where the models that are approaching you uh, will 
raise their rifles and you get to unload on anything that's charging, but you only hit on sixes. So mm-hmm. there's your trade-off. There's your game balance. So you could mm-hmm. be in, you could technically be in range to charge, get shot at, wipe several guys off the, uh, out of your squad and then not be in range to charge anymore. Mm. Doesn't happen that often because most people are like, oh no, I have to make mm-hmm. a three inch charge, which is really easy to do on two dice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's true. But it's, um, it's not so, it's not so simple as just, I get another 12 inches worth of movement. It's more than, mm-hmm. it's, eh, there's lots of fiddly bits with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You're, you're making, you're making that extra run basically mm-hmm. for the enemy trying to, trying to get hand into hand to hand and fight with them. Got it. Okay. Um, so, and so all that's going on in one single turn for each of 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. units. And then whenever at the end, when everyone's dead or alive, you start the whole process again and it continues until everyone's dead or one side is clearly the, uh, winter. yes and no. Uh, there are three types. There's open war, which is based on these little cards that you draw randomly, which makes like, Hey, I need to play a pickup game. Okay. Well, here's my open war cards. Pam, pam, pam. Okay. And go. Uh, there's Mm -hmm. eternal war, which is, there are these objectives to hit that we have to control of various amounts and for various amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And then whoever is controlling the most at the end of the game wins. And then there's, uh, Mm -hmm. it used to just be called victory points, but now it's maelstrom, which you draw these cards, which tell you, you have to accomplish these things in this, uh, in this round yeah mm-hmm. mm. and that's how you score your points now it could be as simple as sit on this objective for two turns or wipe out an enemy flyer which might be difficult if nothing with fly is on the board yeah mm. now generally in in friendly play in, in what what i heard derisively called beer and pretzels 40k mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you just you just mm-hmm. discard that card if you draw it like oh i have a uh, kill slay the witch card which means kill a psyker your team you're playing tau you have no psychers mm. out that card goes yeah 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 mm. that's reasonable it replace it with something else redraw yep so and that's like okay i get this many cards per turn or i have to sit on this many cards and it slowly ticks down or it slowly ticks up or i have to fulfill certain requirements mm-hmm. to draw a card it's very it's very involved, mm-hmm. but it keeps games dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it does. Um now this actually leads to an interesting question. So the whole uh, so how does this tie in with the whole Warhammer 40k like stores and culture? Is this did they make this di- these games more dynamic to appeal to uh games that are taking place at their stores and events? Uh I think they did it because people were tired of just killing each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. they wanted, yeah. Well, yeah. there's that too. Um, let's see when. Does... But I mean, speed up play and you'll make the game more deadly and faster and everything. That's got to be something that would play better at those Warhammer 40k stores they have in some oh, yeah. malls. Yeah. Uh, it it keeps well, yeah. workshop It keeps start. things moving ahead, um, and especially Maelstrom mm. of War came about in seventh edition, maybe six. It's been a hot minute. I may be getting some of this incorrect, but the point was. 
we need to dice up what's going on in our games now because it's either take and hold, uh, capture the relic, kill team, or I don't remember what else it was because it's been so long, <laughs> but mm. like mm. capture the flag, that sort of thing. It's like really basic kind of dummy stuff. Right, yeah. And it all just came down to blow the crap out of each other. Yeah. And the game is still just... That's what you're there to do. The game is still just blow the crap out of each other, but also do it while doing these other things. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was 7th edition that they had these data cards first pop up for the first time. uh, Where they're saying, hey, this is how you can do more with the game. And that's, incidentally, when I started winning more often. (laughs) So I sure as hell aren't Mm. complaining. (laughs) Yeah, they, they added something similar really early on because they had the idea of uh i think they called it mm-hmm. subplots that it would be would 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 uh i think it came from their specialty games too like mordheim and and necromunda and that that they added the idea you'd you'd pick like one model on the enemy's side and that would be like your arch enemy mm-hmm. and you'd have to get this guy in to fight him and, and it yeah it was ways to, to kind of just mix up the scenario yeah. yeah. They mm. also monkeyed with it too, I think, because especially say early Warhammer 40k, uh, games could be significant investments of your time. <laughs> because the, yeah. yeah, there wasn't structure. Uh we did one, and, and this is where we we thought I've mentioned Stanchu before. This is where we thought we lost him, as in he died. Um <laughs> we 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 played over the March break. And we said, we want a really big Warhammer 40k game. So it was a three-way game. I believe it was Marines uh, versus Chaos versus uh, Imperial Guard. You guys were playing over uh, the high yeah. school March break, I'm assuming. Yeah, this was and this high is school, the original. Right? Yes, okay. <laughs> yep. And this is the original one. This is the one that wasn't quite as structured and, and well thought out. And we said, let's have a 10,000-point game. You fools! You mad fools! Oh my god, I kid you not, it took four days to set the game up. (laughs) And three days to play, because I think, for instance, like the Marines, I think we were fielding like 350 models on the table. And crap on a cracker, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And this was the old the old versions of the games, you would fight out every individual like skirmish. The newer versions would add stuff for if my squad is melee and your squad, I could make one big roll for my entire squad. This was back when you had to fight mm. every bit individual. Oh god. <laughs> and this this was the time, God bless Jolt Cola. We thought we lost Statue because about day five or six we're dug into this game we've been just living on caffeine and potato chips for almost a week (laughs) the guy the guy looks up from his papers and he just looks at the two of his he goes guys i don't feel so good and he froze like he wasn't he wasn't blinking he wasn't moving we're like is he breathing we're like doing the wave in front of his face. His eyes are glazed over. He's not responding to anything. We're like, holy shit, what are we going to tell his girlfriend? And it was like an, like a half hour later, he takes a breath and looks around and like, oh my God, we thought you died. It's like, well, okay, we'll just keep playing. And yeah, hopefully and, he's not uh, Stanch.exe has stopped responding. Would you like to wait until the see if the responds? <laughs> oh, it was, it was bad because we and and you got to remember, like our reactions probably weren't the best because we'd been up for almost a week, and me and 
me and Doak weren't in the That's best true. of shape either, so if he was dead, CPR might have involved pouring hot water on his head while kicking him in the feet. Like, <laughs> and What would you have done if I had gotten a head wound <laughs> or been shot in the toe? Give me a shoulder rub. Yeah, like, we didn't know what we were... We were barely able <laughs> yeah. to keep the game going. And, and a lot of your games would be these big, long... Like, if we played 40K, we planned for a whole day of it because, again, it was... Mm-hmm. It was unstructured, and there you would field even like a smaller army of say fifty models. That would still be a few hours to play out that engagement. Jesus, I wish I had fifty model skirmishes nowadays. <laughs> so, uh, as far yeah, as my I, current mm-hmm. expectations, uh, when mm-hmm. I go to play forty k, it is it is my entire evening. Mm-hmm. Or I will play two games, and that's my entire day. That's my entire Saturday. <laughs> now, granted, it doesn't start till noon, but yeah, still, that's not bad. Like I say, the 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 older games were sort of because I think it was uh, second or third. Mm-hmm. They added the uh, mm-hmm. the idea of with the victory points that games would have yeah. a finite number of turns, and you just declare based on victory points who wins at the end of that. Yeah, yeah and I think part of that too was the idea that it sped stuff up because every game would have um, a mission. You have to achieve this. Mm-hmm. You have to get a guy here. You have to blow this up. You have to kill this guy. And if you've only got like five turns to do it, you go like total gung-ho into it. And I think it was meant, again, that was added to speed things mm-hmm. up in that regard. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, because in, in the old games, even if you had um, if you had an objective, there would be a lot of maneuvering around. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, but you don't have that many turns to do all that maneuvering. These guys must be moving pretty fast and killing each other pretty oh, yeah, fast. Oh, yeah, sure do now. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> yeah, and it fits kind of the theme of the game because the theme of the game is it's this universe of, like, bloodthirsty war where individuals don't matter. And if I'm just not – just fuck it, go, run, run, and all your little mm-hmm. guys are running, and it kind of simulates that a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. okay. we, we had games with the old version that would take a while – because you'd be maneuvering into your objective and it'd be more like chess. Um, we did that with, mm-hmm. I still have the outhouse. We had a, it was a, it was a model from an old like train set. And I think it's supposed to be like an old gatekeeper's house. Oh boy. But it looked just like mm-hmm. an outhouse. And for the scenario, we put it in the middle of the table. And what the scenario right. was, was both commanders of each of the two forces playing had to use the bathroom. And, you had to get <laughs> you had to get the currently surviving highest ranking model to the outhouse and then have them like hold it for a turn. So they'd be taken out of play, and then their troops had to keep everybody else from getting to the outhouse for that one turn to declare victory. And it was just a lot of moving around the board until one guy ran it over with a uh, with a tank, and then we're like, ah, fuck it, I'm just gonna kill everybody. So. <laughs> Yeah, our, our early adventures mm-hmm. into playing this game uh, also devolved very rapidly <laughs> into, well, I guess I have three models left on the board, but whatever, we're going to shoot and charge anyway. Like, oh, look at that, I'm dead <laughs> at, like, turn 10. Because we never really read that rule book all that closely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because we were a special kind of stupid, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like being adventurous. Like, that was... Uh... 
we were also 15, 16, 17 at the time. So yeah. it was just like, eh, whatever. You have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that was the other thing. Um, weird about the, the, mm. the Warhammer, the fantasy, and especially 40K, they were mm. war games. But when they started rocking and rolling with these things, they put a lot of attention and detail into them, like more than most role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's true. That's a big that. uh, appeal to 40k, and that's why I think um, in the 90s they started doing novels and stuff because you had this grand, glorious setting, and it was like I said, it was weird, it was creepy, it was like science fantasy horror like if they had geiger do design mm. work for the movies that wouldn't be out of place kind of thing mm-hmm. it would it was yeah, right time. yeah yeah it was this completely unheroic world like that quote i had at the beginning that's from the basic 40k book there's a little speech at the beginning mm-hmm. and that's the last mm-hmm. line but the universe is a big place and no matter what happens you will not be missed and it's it was just so different from everything else and that, like i say that brought us in the the models brought us in the 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 crazy it was the the first real kind of combination i'd seen of sword and sorcery and science fiction yeah for sure and mm-hmm. and that was it, trippy yeah it drew a lot on lovecraft it drew a lot on yeah. conan the barbarian it drew a lot on just like what if Star Wars, but shit? <laughs> what if what if Star Trek, but shittier? Mm. What if these stormtroopers were your last best hope for surviving for another day? Mm-hmm. No, please. Uh, and I mean, there are heroes in in Warhammer, to be sure. Ish. <laughs> well, I mean, mm. your heroes are. I mean, if you're like me and somebody who doesn't believe that warfare is the best way to do things. Um, your heroes are all, all have ranks in militaries. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit like mm-hmm. awkward, but who cares? Right. <laughs> like that's like the universe doesn't really give a mm-hmm. crap about what I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that too, and getting to to that point, one of the other things we thought was nifty about it was, it's this horrifying bleak world, but they set it up so that you could say, like you look at the 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 Empire of Humanity in it, the the Imperium is this terrible dehumanizing place, but the alternative mm-hmm. is worse because mm-hmm. you have to keep everybody kind of tamped down and you can't allow expression and free thought because that's how like the evil chaos guys get in and and that's even worse. And it's that weird moral dilemma that you're looking at something totally repulsive, but part of you is like, but you know, it makes yeah. sense. I mean, the joke, it's supposed to be a joke, mm-hmm. right? It started out as a parody of fascist theocratic states, mm-hmm. which is like, oh man, that's ridiculous. That's horrible. Nobody would ever want that. But the problem is that then they leaned really hard into it. Right. And the problem with parody is, as always, Without a clarity of purpose, you're just making the thing you're intending to parody. Like the the mm-hmm. ridiculous idea of these hyper masculine space marines. They're they're so manly they don't need balls anymore. <laughs> and they, all the women run around True. in high heels and wear armor that has boobers 
built into it and yeah it's just like no <laughs> no you morons the I think what happened with something like 40k is that you're right because it, it starts out as parody and it starts mm-hmm. out even the parts that weren't necessarily parody they said we just want to be just crazy over the top like how far can we push mm-hmm. it but what ends up happening is is the people working on it put so much effort and and thought into it that eventually you kind of accidentally start fleshing things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got this ridiculous world, but it kind of within its own context starts making sense at a point because you've taken the time to sort of to to you, you've given a second of thought to the idea like, well, how do they eat? Like, where does food come from? Well, it's these giant like farm worlds and they're all like yeah. militarized too, because that's where like the alien outriders come. And, but you're doing all this, that it, it, it fits in and it becomes its own thing. And that's where I say mm. it stops being parody and it becomes something. 40 K is kind of, it's a setting. And I've used this to describe other stuff. It's a setting that I don't think you can really judge because it's so much its own thing. There's nothing to really compare it to. Well, actually, that's not quite true anymore, though. Um, oh, yeah, it used to I be. Mean, <laughs> it, 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 it used to be, but it's become so influential. I mean, just take a look at uh, Warcraft and Starcraft online, for example. Mm-hmm. They are basically Warhammer. Like they're Warhammer and they're 40K is what they are. They're, Starcraft they're, is 40K. They're not directly that. There's a lot of backstory and misinformation about that. They're very similar though. But I will tell you what is really heavily 40K. Mm-hmm. When I first played mm-hmm. Halo 2, mm. like bold facedly, and this is before Warhammer hit that mainstream part too. And I wouldn't even call Warhammer that mainstream right now. Yeah, It's the most mainstream mm-hmm. it's ever been. But when I hear people like, oh, these are, scour these heretics, and I'm like, oh, I see somebody who's been reading a couple of Jervis Johnson <laughs> novels. Huh? Uh, I don't think he actually wrote any novels, come to think of it. Uh, but point being, like, 40K is seeped into our culture in such a way yeah. that mm. everybody's like, well, what if it was a grim, dark version of Star Wars? And it's just, no, Star Wars oh. is not going grim, dark. Do not turn Star Wars grim dark because that will ruin it. Mm-hmm. Do not turn Star Trek grim dark because that will ruin it. Yeah. But I I, I read a couple of novels that were free on Amazon because I had the whatever Kindle Prime or whatever and they were mm-hmm. called the Warp Marine Tales. Mm. And I'm just like, excuse me. And I read them and they are really 40k-ish. Yeah. Um but they're not. Yeah, actually, there's a <laughs> there's a huge subgenre of military sci-fi, which is just space marine stories. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. And space marine stories come in two flavors, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. They are either the space marines from Aliens, mm-hmm. or they are the space marines from 40K. Yep. And those are the two types of space marines you're going to encounter, depending on what the background of the person who's writing them is. Yeah. John Scalzi does a really good job of writing space marines that are not shit bags uh that Mm. do manage to avoid the urata ashes kind of (laughs) crap which is just so tedious at this point but Mm. here's the thing the thing the problem with the aliens and colonial marines is that nobody got the first time around that they're supposed to be way in over their heads Mm -hmm. 
and just saw that they're yeah. the cool guys with the cool guns. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, you fools. Yeah, I, th- I think that ties in too with uh, what you were saying about 40K. Because I've seen a few things that are trying to be 40K, like uh, the Chronicles of Riddick is very, oh, very yeah, 40K. That, that is a 40K movie set in a, just a corner of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> and what I think happens is because, like you said, 40K started out as like, essentially a parody and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the people that are copying it they don't have that knowledge that it was supposed to be crazy and over the top Mm -hmm. and because they're trying to now do a grounded version of it this is why a lot of it's kind of well okay i i guess yeah like (laughs) like they're meh yeah well, right. Yeah, yeah. And here's the here's the other thing with it is that a lot of the fans don't get it as a parody either, mm-hmm. mm. and a lot of the stuff that you would say is like the basis of 40k is supposed. It started as a as a tongue in cheek, wink wink, nudge nudge thing, mm-hmm. like Inquisitor Obi Wan has spoken of before. <laughs> Or right, rogue right. trader, rogue trader, Erasmus Harlock. <laughs> yeah. Find find the night sabers. Find the Givers. Mm-hmm. But like now, it's like it's it's mutated into its own thing. Yeah, and a lot of players mm-hmm. who are into it, who are my age and a little bit older, who are still into it, are like, oh my god, if only we could have God Emperor in real life and it's just like no god no what are you some sort of moron (laughs) and like well see half the people who just tuned it tuned out (laughs) but like no this is a categorically a bad thing Mm -hmm. but here's the here's Mm -hmm. the other thing about an interstellar empire even one like the imperium which is supposed to be united Mm -hmm. it's not a single state yeah it is a loose confederation which is an alarmingly democratic thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now, did we cover, sorry, I had to step out for a second earlier. Did we cover the part about why the emperor is so important in 40 K? No. Did you guys actually discuss oh, that? Oh no, no, you really should. <laughs> That's actually kind of important to understanding all of this. Okay. Uh, so a very long time ago, there was this guy called the emperor. Well, he's now called the emperor who is also uh, Gilgamesh and Merlin and maybe Jesus. Uh, and every mystical wise man, he was also the Buddha. He was also <laughs> Muhammad. He was every mystical soothsaying wise man of every religion that ever was forever and ever. Amen. Mm-hmm. And he went into hiding roundabout nowish. who can blame him, uh, and didn't appear again until the world was a post nuclear wasteland in the year 20,000. So he rolls up and he's like, all right, I'm going to take some really, really badass warriors and I'm going to like pump them full of gene juices and we're going to turn them into the thunder warriors because I'm the only one with the foresight who can think this far ahead because I'm a psyker of unimaginable power Mm -hmm. Uh, because he is a psyker of unimaginable power. So Mm -hmm. he unites the entire planet by killing everybody else mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, and then it's like, well, we uh, like, you know, 500 years or 5,000 years before this 
planet went to shit, uh, we sent out people out into the universe and we maybe made some, like, maybe some sort of colonies and empires, but everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, due to the El- the fall of the Eldar Empire, which I think happens in the year 2000, uh, 20, 20,000, 15,000, the Eldar Empire basically fucked themselves into oblivion and created a new chaos god mm-hmm. and screwed up warp travel for everybody. So the emperor is like, mm-hmm. all right, well, time to, you know, knock, knock, open up the doors real with me. Uh, and basically kicks down the door to the entire universe. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the year 30,000. And he creates these guys called Primarchs, who are basically blood of his blood, flesh of his flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh and then the chaos gods are like, this guy's going to screw up this good thing we have going. So we're going to take half of these guys and throw them to the universe. So they start this grand crusade and pick up everybody, all the lost Primarchs, and uh, turn them into Space Marine Legions. Mm-hmm. And then half of Who's them go back. this? The, the, Emperor the Emperor or the Chaos Gods? No, the Emperor. Okay. But the Chaos Gods have done a bad thing and corrupted... Uh, the war master Horus, who is the emperor's most favoritest, belovedest son, in spite of the fact that he is kind of a yutz. <laughs> um, and then thanks to, oh God, it's been so long since I read the Horus Heresy books. Mm-hmm. Some uh, Erebus, I think, is the uh, is the the word bearers legion lieutenant who basically converts Horus to chaos yeah. after essentially sacrificing him to the chaos gods uh and turn and bringing him back as some sort of uh all all powerful chaos war beast mm-hmm. so oh crap now half the space marine legions for various and sundry reasons have turned against the emperor mm-hmm. and the emperor mm-hmm. takes a long time to believe it because he's kind of an idiot <laughs> You'd think a psychic would pick up on this shit, but no. <laughs> you would think so, yeah. You th- you would have thought he'd know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, who knows. Uh, so Horus comes a-knocking back on Earth, now known as Terra, because Latin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. And says, uh, hey, Dad, I'm home, and I have this fist full of pain for you. And the Emperor says... Man, that kind of sucks. All right, guess I'll have to teleport up onto this battle barge and give you a whooping. But the Emperor is only so powerful in the face of somebody who has the blessings of all four Chaos Gods, and they end up basically killing each other. Mm -hmm. The Emperor gets installed on this thing called the Golden Throne, which keeps him alive. Ish. Question mark? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If If you can call that living, and he uses his grand psychic powers to zot out into the universe and make essentially the universe's biggest lighthouse Mm -hmm. and now people are worshiping him as a god which he hates but he doesn't do anything about it because he's basically a corpse yeah and let's let's be more specific what you meant by lighthouse basically without him they can't use warp travel in this setting yeah he's basically this giant beacon that psychics who or psychers, sorry, yep. who um, basically are the navigators on warp ships, use him as the beacon so they can navigate through the warp gates and everything and come out, come out okay and come out where they're supposed to. 
within so he, within reasonable tolerances. Yeah. Within reasonable <laughs> yeah. tolerance, exactly. It's very so inexact. Hum, so the human empire can't exist without him. Yep. It, it literally will fall apart and fall into, mm-hmm. if you'll pardon the pun, chaos without without him being there. So that's why and don't they have to sacrifice a certain number of psychers every day to hit to basically give him enough life energy to continue functioning? Ten thousand a day. Yep. Now that's ten thousand. That sounds like a, a lot. Day. That sounds like a lot to you. That's like the size of a small town in America. Um, mm. But you know how many people there are in the in the uh, Imperium? A lot. Think okay. I want you to think of the biggest number you can. That's not a Google. <laughs> that would be what nine hundred ninety nine trillion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why not? That sounds like it. Imagine that many people. That many people are being born in the Imperium every day. Yeah. Yeah, probably because it, this it's just that big. Yep. The exactly. size of it is staggering. Yeah. Well, not yep. not just that, but at the time, I think the population of Earth isn't it supposed to be something like thirty five billion people? Yeah, but Earth is a hive world. Yeah, and a ring world. And another hive world on top of that, mm-hmm. like it's it's huge. Earth is this massive. I mean, calling it a Dyson sphere is doing a Dyson sphere disservice because it's not around. It, it it's if it was a Dyson sphere, it'd be around a planet. Mm-hmm. No, it'd be around a sun. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Dyson spheres are built around suns. Yeah, it it is a Dyson sphere that is not around a sun. It is around the Earth. Yeah, and it's full of people, elbow to elbow. Yeah. See that. Right. Oh, and, there we go. And if these people start thinking unhappy thoughts, chaos can creep into their dreams or whatever and convert them over. Except they're all miserable all the time anyway. So why? But it's but it's <laughs> so that creates a bit of a bit of a problem, it's, doesn't it? it? Yeah. But, it's then. hopeless miserable. As long as you're hopeless, chaos can't get you. It's when you start having that bit of hope, then they creep in. Yeah. Well, that's the worst part of it, isn't it? Chaos actually sometimes gets in through good things, not bad. Chaos gets in through it wherever it can. Yeah. Here's the thing. Every time the Imperium kills somebody, it's worshiping corn. Mm-hmm. Every time a duelist slays an enemy and feels proud of it, uh, they're worshiping corn and slanesh. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody thinks, I would like to move my station in life, they're worshiping zinch. Every time somebody begs for release from a disease, they're worshiping Nurgle. There's there's no out for it. Yep. Well, hell, so it's just so like, you, well, fine. This setting is old. Remember, ba- ba- <laughs> at any time that you actually say care about a family member, you're worshiping Nurgle. Yeah, because Nurgle is everybody's granddad. Yeah, they, he just wants you to be happy. Yeah, it's. And oh, this this is one of the things because you hit at one of the ideas that we found fascinating when it came out. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the emperor, his lights referred to as the astronomicon, mm-hmm. and it's the beacon that what ends up happening is in the in, in the forty forty first uh, century when the game takes place, the forty first millennium correction. Mm-hmm. When when the game takes place, they've sort of started to reunite. The, the old Imperium, the old human empire. Yeah. And the only way they can navigate is by the emperor's light. Like that's the idea. He's, he's a lighthouse and they, mm. they have to keep feeding him the souls of the psychers. Cause that's the only sustenance that, that he gets. If that light goes out, then the whole empire falls apart again because there, there's no way 
he's he's used there's a weird communication mm-hmm. thing too uh that they have to they go with warp communication but that beacon is kind of the only fixed point in space mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important for any kind of navigation or coordination and it was that idea that what they're doing is horrifying and the idea that this the, the emperor who might he might not actually even be completely alive he might be a, like a weird sort of zombie thing yeah that they have to keep feeding it innocent lives for it to live but the alternate if it goes out the suffering is even worse like there's no winning you got to kind of mitigate the losing and and i thought that was like i say again that was something we found fascinating about it because you don't see that there's there's always a heroic out in most stories and 40k there just isn't there there's um there's equilibrium and then there's loss yeah yeah like oh no we beat we destroyed uh we finally sent angron the primarch of the uh, word bearers who is a demon now uh, back into the warp. Yeah, that'll teach that son of a bitch. Oh, it only took all of our best troops to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he'll be back in about 10,000 years, if that. So it's funny that you were talking about how, oh man, that would be really crappy if the Astronomicon went out. Uh, so what would happen? Well, I just dropped a link into the uh, Skype chat here for you guys to take a look at. Let's talk a little bit oh. about 8th edition. Uh-oh. And the- Is that what they did? It's called the You're Dark Imperium. Uh-oh. The Emperor's You're light kidding. flickered for just a minute. And that was all it took. Huh. The Cicatrix Maledictum, the evil scar across the universe. It goes from the Eye of Terror to the Maelstrom. And that's uh and that's where uh Chaos won for just a minute. For just a moment. Huh. Cadia was destroyed. Because it was going to fall. The planet... I'll put this in the show notes, yeah. folks, so you can see this map that he's talking about. And it is a point of pride for every Cadian still living that the planet broke before the guard did. <laughs> the Imperial Guard did not break, even in, as the entire planet was coming apart. But now there's this huge line across the the entirety of the galaxy that you can't cross. Or you can cross, but it's extremely dangerous. 500 years afterwards, uh, people are just very, very uh, judiciously going across it to try and see what's on the other side. Uh, And it's a lot of very, very worried and sad people. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, Hmm. So, luckily, Robert de Gilliman is uh, back from being in stasis and said, oh, man, we got to go kick chaos in the teeth. So let's get all these um, all these boys in. <laughs> uh, and so he created the new, the new Primaris guys and s- set about sorting, what, sorting out what went wrong and, you know, whose ass he has to kick to make this <laughs> universe work right again. And that brings me to something interesting that is only interesting to nerds of a very specific mm-hmm. stripe. And that is, uh, what what ancient civilization do you want to play as? Huh. So if you're playing as 
the Space Marines, you're playing mm-hmm. as uh if you're playing Ultramarines, you're playing as the Roman Empire. Right. Uh though in this case I suppose uh and I mean overall there's a very Roman Empire flavor to the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even the name, Definitely. obviously. However, with this sundering, this great schism here, and that wasn't an accident that I said that, mm-hmm. um, we are now in the Byzantine era of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. in which the Byzantine Empire is now what what appears and is the the primary human empire in the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of cool, just from a historical perspective but uh right depending on who you like the best that may inform your decision of who is what or and who you want to play in this game um the blood angels are renaissance italians mm-hmm. uh and they have the names to back it up uh black mm-hmm. templars are teutonic knights that's the space marine chapter i play the eldar are celtic tribes mm-hmm. mixed with ancient greek very obviously um, mm-hmm. i don't know just uh the tau empire is one of contention for me personally because it's very mm-hmm. obvious that they're supposed to be like ooh, these strange easterners that we do not understand yeah and they're all communists and that's what mm-hmm. the that's what the voice clips in the games say mm-hmm. however i would like to posit a theory here publicly and people mm-hmm. can string me up from the rafters for it and that's fine because it might be a little bit <laughs> I think the tower Americans really. So here's okay. the, here's the fluff for the towel, right? All okay. the, all the Let's Asian stuff is a smokescreen mm-hmm. or an additional thing. Uh, I think the tower is supposed to be representative of Americans because the Imperium came by, right. Mm-hmm. And saw this planet full of people who are just like, you know, they're, they're coming around, whatever. We don't have to deal mm-hmm. with them. They won't ever evolve. Uh, they won't ever be a threat or a problem until, so, you know, say that in in real time, that's like 1812 mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. World War II, right? Or World War One, And all of a sudden, this new bunch of guys has this huge industrial base and kicks in the door and saves everybody's butt and does a whole lot of damage with their, sup- not super tech, but like, very very different styles of doing things mm-hmm. uh, and they come in with these other ideas about how how people should be working together uh in the in the timeline of 40k that's the tau they show up with these super mm-hmm. super guns basically yeah. uh and present a real threat to the established canon so in in the same way as americans the like basically the American Empire kicked in the door in World War One and said, "Hey, pay attention to us." Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened that the British were on the right side. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. so in this case, and my 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 reference point for this is the okay. So the Tau have very long rifles, right? And they have, and that was something that the uh, Americans were known for using. In the uh, in the French and Indian War, and in the mm. what do you guys call it? You call that the Seven Years' War up there, or is it the French and Indian War there too? Because I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be diplomatic. Uh, I've heard, I've heard both. 
Okay. I've heard both too. So you can use both. So it's okay. The, we call it the French and Indian War down here. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. primarily what took place in the States. But we used very long rifles um, called Kentucky long rifles to sharpshoot. Mm-hmm. Tau rifles have a six inch range increment over regular bolters and regular las rifles. Uh, they hit harder. Uh, and they make a lot of heavy use of um, of native peoples. Basically, mm-hmm. the uh, the crute, which are their auxiliaries, are very much Native American in their flavor, except the kind of Native American you would find in uh, something H.P. Lovecraft wrote, where they're like, oh, and also they eat people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But their flavoring and their tribal structure and their trading and the the whole look of them is like, oh, well, if you made a Native American, a, a cartoon caricature of a Native American, but also turn him into a bird at the same time, that's probably how they would look. Huh. Um, so combine that, the, the hypertech, the long rifles, the way that the they combine this really huge industrial and military power with this weird... American dream esque, uh, Tauva idea, greater good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's where my, uh, that's where my mind brings me. Now, obviously, GW has never said up or down what it is, mm-hmm. and they're uh, obviously <laughs> also have all these voice lines that are like sound very Asian or Japanese or Chinese, mm-hmm. depending on your mm. flavoring of the week. But I think that you can make an argument for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. I think you got a good point. Like, there it can be both too. Like that's yeah. not a. It's not an either or. Yeah, because the way they're set up, that Rob would know. What which was the uh, in China? Which was the empire that started the Mandarin tests? What? what oh, geez. Which emperor was it? Because that's the Mandarin test. You mean the Mandarin test? What do you mean by that? Uh, how the Mandarin meritocracy? I'll double check on where man. What's your point, Don? Anyway, oh, while I look it up. It's that era. Like if you remember when the when the the government standardized stuff, and you had to travel to to, to mm-hmm. the Great Kingdom to take those tests if you wanted to get into the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. That's what the 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 Tao in the game are modeled after. Like that's. When they talk about their their structure, well, not even like, that. They, they're they have more to do with Indian um, caste structure. They even call it castes. They they like they do, but it works a little bit more like it did in. Uh, and that's why mm-hmm. I say that era of the test, because when you did those government tests, it kind of it told them where where in the bureaucracy you fit in, uh, okay. and that was how the clans. Because it's like the fire clan for the Tao are like the military mm-hmm. strategists. And I forget, was it the water clan that are the, mm-hmm. like the thinkers and the, the, the leaders, the big organizers. And it's water clan is the diplomats. Earthcast is the builders. Aircast are the flyers and ethereals are the rulers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's basically, that's basically what, what that era of China was. And that's kind of what they're modeled on. Mm. But your idea of them representing the States that does have merit. And I know, right? And I know, as as a weird aside, <laughs> mm-hmm. when the Tao were first introduced, what the original premise that they they wanted was that was the era where like the the Japanese cartoons that were taking off, and they said do something like that, and that was 
mm-hmm. that was the original premise behind the 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 towel. Right. It was hey, why don't you make something that will appeal to our our western or our eastern gaming audience and they're like okay, we're going to make giant robots and mm-hmm. the people who liked that sort of thing in Japan and China and uh Korea were like uh yeah, we like our British game. Yeah. A lot more. We like it without the weirdo <laughs> westerner thing that you just made here yeah they're like okay fine here have the necrons <laughs> yeah because the by the way the standardized testing just to start cutting ming dynasty oh it's okay. actually it's actually oh, the ming okay. yeah because because the mandarin as we know it starts roughly in the 14th century like there are awesome. older versions of it but all right hey we did it kids <laughs> got there yeah rob's the uh, expert on china of the bunch all right well rad <laughs> as, as best i can do anyway mm. all right continue sorry so shoot go <laughs> <laughs> hey. Oh um, no, he heard me. <laughs> but, Quick, hide! But, 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 by the way, it's actually usually they refer to it as Guanhua. That would be Mandarin. Guanhua is actually okay. the, the proper term for it in Chinese, anyway. Mm. Um, but we're not going to so worry about that. So that's good. So All right, so. All right, continue, please. Sorry, in, sorry to interrupt. But it's 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 funny too because the tower kind of the redheaded stepchildren of forty uh, k. Yeah, well, <laughs> I always thought they were yeah just introduced to basically it's like oh what's popular anime stuff okay uh, Tao that's okay we'll create an anime race basically and that's what they are they're basically the anime race. There is and I find that difficult to disagree with yes <laughs> yeah it, they also i think the biggest problem you have with with the tau for 40k is that they're upbeat they're the only upbeat race in the whole game and it's like they 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 have inner peace they work towards like the greater good and and harmony and you're like what the hell game did, are you meant to be in like because this is 40k where even the happy mm-hmm. singing space elves hate each other and and are obsessive maniacs that get possessed by the god of war and turn into giant flaming pillars of death and you're like and then the tower are are happy and and i think that's part of why they don't fit in they're they're really really what that's why everyone oh, hates them they <laughs> fit in a lot better now i tell you that for free mm-hmm. <laughs> what um let me tell you something about the fourth sphere expansion oh. in which they lost a whole bunch of guys okay. and finally found them again, except now they're all nuts. Oh, okay. Um, the, the kicker is <laughs> with the Tau right now, I have a Tau army because of course I do. Uh-huh. Mm, of uh, course you do. They're not all painted up like Gundams and Valkyries and <laughs> stuff like that. Because I haven't painted them yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, the 4th Sphere expansion is the point where the Tau realized that everything is not going to go exactly according to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost a whole bunch of guys in the warp, basically, using what they're now using to do um, to get across. Because originally they couldn't use warp travel. Mm-hmm. They could skim the edge of the warp and get going really fast, but... They they have figured out a way to bounce themselves through the warp to move through interstellar distances with a high degree of accuracy, though not nearly as far as anything that uses actual warp, warp travel, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering this correctly. But the first guys they sent in there, uh, this whole huge armada got sent in, 
And then all of a sudden, they just didn't come out where they were supposed to. Hmm. And they didn't come out, and they didn't come out, and they didn't come out. And there was a huge warp storm where they were supposed to come out. They came out. Hmm. They didn't come back right, though. Huh. Um, these Tau are paranoid and psychotic and hypernationalist and the kind of people you don't want uh, doing the talking for you, right. shall we say? Mm. Uh, and additionally, uh, on Va, their greatest, uh, their greatest ethereal has been dead for some time. Mm-hmm. Tau do not live super long. Okay. Mm. But never let that get in the way of anything, especially Tau technological advancement, because why do you need the person still alive when you can just download his brain? Hmm. Which they did. And now Anva is a telepath, or not a telepath, holographic construction. And he's doing all of his Anva things. Huh. Kind of like the Emperor who is also dead, but continues to be a spiritual leader. The Tao are developing into this, like, like, sort of uh, Imperium. Mm -hmm. Not in the same, not in the same ways, not in the same horrible ways, (laughs) but they're, they're doing, doing things out of desperation Mm. and maybe not thinking about the, um, Long-term effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the long-term consequences of this. Now, they've still... The, the, overall, they are still doing well and feeling good and feeling real cool about their place in the universe and doing pretty good at fighting off Tyranids and Orcs, which are a constant problem. Mm-hmm. But they're not They're not quite as happy-go-lucky. Yeah, we're going to take care of everything all on our lonesome sort of thing that they mm-hmm. they were before. They're like, oh man, the universe is starting to look a little bit darker than we expected. Hmm. So, okay, all right, that sounds also the dawn blade is sucking the souls out of people that uh, <laughs> that Farsight kills with it, and it's making him live longer. <laughs> huh. Okay, well that's very forty k. All right, yeah, See um, much better. So- <laughs> much better yeah. okay so now they fit in okay good good they're no they're you 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 brought the happy aliens in and now you're making them miserable that's 40k there we go <laughs> the universe finally broke the space hippies yep that's exactly mm-hmm. right all right so before we go on too much longer we should probably start heading towards a close but i want to talk about two final things before we do um first if someone was going to say get into 40k if they managed to get through this podcast this far and thought <laughs> you know this actually sounds pretty good um instead of i'm by those of you of who skipped confused. so much of it <laughs> um for those very very few people that are have not already stopped listening uh or are just not massively confused by what we we're talking about if they were going <laughs> to get into warhammer or 40k or fantasy um Professor Otaku, what should they do? That just takes a drag on a cigarette. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> uh, no, uh, if you want to get into 40K, I would say find a friend who's willing to get into it with you and then get one of the big box sets that's out right now. Now it's about 150 bucks, but you can play 40K itself with those games or with what's in those boxes there are four of them to date and they they all give you a pretty good idea of what this um 
what this game is about. Alternatively, you can get... Hold on one, sorry. When you say a box set, is that box set meant for two people or does each person have to buy a box set? Uh, That box set is meant for two people because it comes with two forces in it. Okay, got it. Two different forces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. Good call. Um, Alternatively, you can check out Kill Team, which is a very small scale version of it. And that also has a box set with two separate forces in it that are fairly well balanced against each other. Um, So if you like, that's that's how you can get a taste of it. And if you like Kill Team... Um, you can sprint, branch out into the other armies that Kill Team has to offer, mm-hmm. or you can branch out into bigger 40k. Um, there is a box set called Dark Imperium that will give you the rule book and two sets of full, uh, a set of Space Marines and a set of Death Guard, which are the Nurgle Space Marines. Uh, mm-hmm. So you will have two roughly equivalent forces to fight against against each other. Uh, and they come together like a charm, and they're super. Uh, I mean, you'll need super glue for it, right? Uh, but they're super simple, and they just—it's mm, beautiful. <laughs> but then you'll have the then you'll have the rule book, which will give you the skinny on the background and how to play the game, and uh, show you all the armies mm-hmm. to talk about to look at. Um, and it's going to set you back a little bit, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it's like $160, $170, but, I mean, you don't go into this trying to do it cheap, uh, not for lack of trying on my part. Right. Uh, but that will give you that will give you enough to start your armies with. That'll be enough out of the gate that you can put them together, plunk them down on the battlefield, and say, all right, let's play this game. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now would you advise people to seek out a Games Workshop store if there's one nearby, or is that something that people should do? Uh, actually, yeah, no, Games Workshop stores are good places to go uh, because that gives you a built-in uh, community that mm-hmm. you can slowly work your way into. Or if you have the appropriate amount of space in your home, uh, you can play there too, though that makes mm-hmm. it a little bit less easy. I will also say that local game stores, if you don't have a games workshop nearby, start poking around your local game stores. Uh, they might have it. Or, mm. or at the very least, they'll have tables and space that if you ask real nicely, you can probably play it there. Right. Okay. No, uh, I believe that. Failing that, failing that, Facebook has, I mean, you, if there are 40K players anywhere around, and you might have to drive a little bit to go there if you're in the States. Mm-hmm. Um if there are 40k players anywhere around, just look up Warhammer your area on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or whatever you like to use more. And you should be able to find a group within reason. Mm, probably, yeah. They're they're scattered everywhere. Okay, that's good to know. Yep. Now, what about regular Warhammer Fantasy? Is that worth getting into? Uh, Doesn't exist anymore, but okay. Uh, so regular Warhammer Fantasy is not played very much anymore. Really? Uh, it it has been yeah no it's gone it's not supported anymore it is a fan project keeping anything about that alive. Yeah. But if you want to play fantasy instead, do the same thing that I just said for 40k, except do it for Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. and those boxes will come with the rules and some background stuff and all the models you need to get going. Now there have been some updates recently, so you might want to get the more the most recent version, which is 
called Soul Wars. Mm-hmm. And follow the instructions therein. Uh, the Soul Wars boxes, a lot of the Age of Sigmar stuff right now is uh, in the easy-to-build line, which means you don't need glue to get mm. it together, and it just slots into a base. Okay. Uh, so you push together, like, a Gundam kit, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's where you start, and that's where it, uh, and then you can collect more bits and bobs if you want to from there. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, fantasy, sadly, is no more. Uh, but there are people, people who play it. Um, but if you're, say, in your teens or early 20s, you're probably not going to find anybody your age to play it with. Mm. But Age of Sigmar is effectively Warhammer Fantasy, the new yes. generation, isn't it? So really, if you mm-hmm. want to play the fantasy version of Warhammer, it's Age of Sigmar now. Yes, that's correct. Okay, just, okay, just wanted to make that clear. And so, there are a lot of people raging about that statement. <laughs> I bet there are. So that's interesting. It got better. <laughs> so they didn't. They didn't reboot forty um, k. They just rebooted mm. the fantasy version of of Warhammer. That's in, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Okay. Um, they 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 nuked and paved to put it in uh, <laughs> uh, other parlances. Yes. Okay. Uh, but with forty k, they real they there was a lot of backlash against people who had played fantasy for a very long time. I, I so believe they that didn't they didn't opt to do that for forty k, especially because there's still lots of stuff they could do in forty k. You right. can always bring in a new alien race. You can always build off of some of the other stuff you've done. But with Warhammer Fantasy, there was just there wasn't enough world to continue keeping right. the world going. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. No, no, that's quite reasonable. Now, speaking of which, so what do you think that the future of Warhammer is then? I think, so with 8th edition, they they just redid everything from the ground up. Mm-hmm. The future of Warhammer, Warhammer 8th edition and Age of Sigmar, because they're basically going in tandem right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the future is going to look like good community engagement mm-hmm. uh it's going to look like constant updating like every every six months we get a new uh big faq and mm-hmm. every december we're going to get a new chapter approved which is going to rebalance the game and shift the points around so it all it all slots together very well now they're never going to perfect it mm-hmm. because you can't right mm-hmm. but they're going to come pretty close and they're going to keep doing that until they decide to put out ninth edition. And mm-hmm. I don't know what ninth edition is going to look like. I don't care as long as it's good. Um, they might keep going bigger. They might start to scale back some stuff. But I think they like the fact that everybody loves their big night miniatures mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, they've got Kill Team. They're going to keep branching out into more specialized games. But the core Warhammer experience is still going to be set some dudes up, set down a tank, set down a monster, go. Okay, makes sense. Now, here's an odd question. Um, Since they've been trying to push for Warhammer to have more, we'll call it, general social acceptance, okay? (laughs) Um, And they've been trying for quite some time. That's because, again, they're a company. They want to make money. Have they kind of been watering down Warhammer over the last couple of editions? I think Setting-wise, I mean, and tone-wise, of course. I think they've made it more accessible. I don't think it ever got watered down. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind. Like, 
there's always hidden pockets of horror mm-hmm. in everything that Games Workshop puts out for for Warhammer. Mm-hmm. For Age of Sigmar, everything is a little less horrible all the time because Sigmar is definitely a good guy. Mm-hmm. He is a god that is good, quote unquote. Um, uh, it's in in contrast to the four chaos gods, which want misery and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um. Sigmar wants them to go away and let humans do their thing and wants an orderly universe. Right. Now, some people can find that horrible in its own right. Mm. But every everything that, like for every heroic space marine out there, there's 10 more space marines that have to go and purge a planet. You know, for every, um, every guardsman, for every guardsman that makes a sweet kill, there are 50 more that died on the way in, mm. you know, or never even managed to hit the, um, never even managed to hit make planet fall. You know, there's the scale of the 40 K universe is so vast that there's never going to be a way to water it down. Quote unquote. Mm. Um, because you can find pockets of good and awesome and excellent. And you can find, you just have to read the books a little bit to find the horror. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, for every guardsman regiment that goes, that that has a life like Gaunt's Ghosts, which is a book by Dan Abnett, a book series, the ghosts live a very charmed life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sharp in space is what they call it. Uh, but the ghosts get around pretty all right. Now, they'll lose a dude here and there. Sure, whatever. But... For every Gaunt's Ghost, there are 10 legions, you know, there are 10 uh, entire regiments of Imperial Guardsmen that just get blown to bits. Mm-hmm. Like, in like before they even see combat, you know? Right. Um, every ad, like, every Admech trooper, Adeptus Mechanicus trooper is basically lobotomized and has his legs cut off. Right. <laughs> They're... Their basic rifles kill the the bearer more than they kill the enemy. Like it is a hundred percent mortality rate for everybody who uses those guns because they're radiant guns and they irradiate the crap out of the poor human bits that are still left in the dude holding it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. And they just they <laughs> drop dead, and somebody else picks it up. Well, like, that's Warhammer Forty K, all right. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's peak Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I don't think we can top that. So we better call it a night. Um, Don, any final thoughts before we get going? Yeah, there's one one odd one that kind of relates to what you guys were just talking about. When you think Warhammer and Warhammer 40k, I know that they're always looking to I- expand the brand, as it were. Case in point, you look at the Warhammer Adventures books, which are like kids' mm-hmm. books set during like the the 40 in the 40k setting and i haven't read one but oh dear lord i have to like how how i'm excited yeah like what's the kids version of this like i i because I, I can i can i can i i don't i can't even imagine mm-hmm. but i mm-hmm. i think like warhammer really has when you look at all the stuff they've done all the novels they've done video games they keep pushing for movies but it never quite comes to pass because i think the movie companies want to like dick around with it too much. 
Well, there was an Ultramarines movie, an animated one. And about... it sucked. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the movies aren't going to want to really grasp what makes 40K 40K, that being like the bleakness and that. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at all of that, you look at it's a global phenomenon, how widespread it is. I think it already does have a lot of acceptance. I think it's one of those things that mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a mega hit. I think it's really a big part of the, like the nerdly the, the 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 nerdly planetscape, as it were. Even if mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. don't immediately like, it's not constantly in your face. It's not like you know, like Marvel superhero characters that they're just everywhere. But I think it's as big a thing. But there's got to be a name for it. It's one of those things that it's prevalent, but you have to come to it. Mm-hmm. And I think again, yeah, like we we're saying near the beginning of this podcast, with all of the ripoffs and how much of it has worked its way into general like sci-fi and fantasy culture, I think it already mm-hmm. does have like a really, a really big acceptance, even if people haven't realized how it's wheedling its way into like the uh, the nerdly landscape. Just like chaos. Dun dun. Well, clearly that means we have to just purge 40k entirely. Then. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, ain't that a thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> isn't that a? Isn't that a? Don't they refer to that as uh, terminus? Exterminus. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I'm surprised you got through the whole podcast without mentioning bolt thrower. <laughs> well, that's our outro music, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll see if I can find some. Oh bolt my thrower God. is bolt thrower is a 40k fan metal band. I guess that's the best way to describe them, is it? Yeah, they they they're not exactly just forty k because I think it was like White Dwarf ninety four or ninety five. There's a mm-hmm. flexi disc with the song "Blood for the Blood God," which is like they're mm-hmm. they're big. They're they're like a like a death metal thrash metal kind of band. They're like really mm-hmm. super hardcore, right? <laughs> just say no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, so I'll put a link to Bolt Thrower in the show notes. <laughs> unless you guys, uh, in case anybody wants to go check them out, unless you guys want to have a sing along right now, I'm good. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't gargle into a microphone hard enough. <laughs> on that note, thanks for coming on, Professor Taku. Thanks for the interesting background, Don, and thank you, listener, for for sticking with us right to the end. Um, I know it's been a long journey, but the Warhammer 40K universe is vast and it takes a long time to cross it. Warp travel is hard, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, folks. And remember, stay away from chaos. (laughs) Or else. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!